We're going to continue our series in Galatians, and today we're looking at Galatians 3. Um, We could spend a couple months in Galatians 3, and we're going to spend one day. And so we're not touching most of it. And so I want to ask you this week, I want to invite you to spend some time reading through this. And as you read through it, to ask God to highlight things to you. We're really going to just talk about the beginning and the end of the chapter, but I realize there's a lot um, that we're passing over, and it's significant. Um, but again, we would spend several months here. We'll, we'll touch on all this at the next Sunday night class that we have next week, but um, yeah, I just want to invite you to spend some time this week on it, and then later today, you're going to get an email if you're on our email list. Uh, you're going to get an email with a devotional, a real simple devotional written out from some of the questions that Paul asks right here in Galatians 3. And so you can write them down hurriedly if you would like right now, but you'll get them in email form later today. Okay? So Galatians 3 uh, verses 1 through 5 starts like this, and I'm in the, uh, the New Revised Standard Version. You foolish Galatians, what a great beginning, right? (laughs) You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It has been before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Have you started with the Spirit? Are you now ending with the flesh? Mm. Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Okay, so he uses some words that like carry some weight, right? Like he calls them foolish twice. He uses who bewitched you. Uh, and, and I think of, is, is that the one where the girl moves her nose in the old TV show? One of the old, old shows. Uh, it's not really a phrase we use a lot, but like, who, who's tricking you? Who's deceiving you? Maybe more mm-hmm. WandaVision kind of stuff is what this verse would be like. Who's cast this spell over you? Mm-hmm. But to use language like that, we know that you've got to have a relationship, right? Like if you just walk up to somebody... And call them a fool and mm-hmm. and ask who bewitched them, they're not gonna read on. They're not gonna listen on. So by the fact that he's saying all this, we know that there's a relationship. And you know in a relationship you can you can call somebody out a little bit differently, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul is doing here. But I want to look at these questions that he asks and and again invite you to reflect on them throughout the week, because they're great questions. The very first one here, besides who bewitched you, who put you under the WandaVision, the first one that he says is, did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Yes. yes. This is so important to, us yes. to look at. Yes. And, and what he's not talking to people who are brand new Christians. Right. He's talking to people who have been a Christian for a minute. Right. And if you've been a Christian for a minute, you know that sometimes we like to pretend that it changes. And that's what's happening. And remember, all of this is 
written in response to the rivals' teachings that were, mm-hmm. were saying, hey, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to do these <clears throat> things that are a little bit culturally imperialistic. You need to act Jewish. Right, right. Not in faith, but in, in culture. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of what he's getting at here. You see, he's, he's pointing out that, uh, are, are you behaving so well? Is that where the spirit came from? Yeah. Because yeah. you're such a good little girl uh-huh. or such a good little boy? Or did the Spirit come in you because of your faith? Mm-hmm. You see, the question that he's asking here is, did you forget where you come from? Right. Do you forget where, where your people come from? Do you forget that you were once far, far from God? Yes. That you didn't know that God really wanted to come for you and then God approached you mm-hmm. and God gave his grace and his mercy and you came to faith in him only to now behave a little bit better and forget your story? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's what he's asking about here. Yeah. And we think, well, Galatians, you might forget your story, but I'll say one church, we might forget our story. Mm-hmm. Do we forget? Mm-hmm. Do we forget who we were? Mm-hmm. It is a healthy practice for us to reflect and look back and ask the question, are we here now today in this space because we're good at behaving? Or are we here in this space because God collided with our life? Right. And God has, has shown his mercy and his grace on our behalf. Yes. The very next question, well, the next question is, are you so foolish? <laughs> and I think that's fitting. Mm-hmm. You see, somehow along the, the way, I know that God collided with me when I was a seventh grader asking some massive questions mm-hmm. about life and death and my heart I was an old soul. I was like an 80-year-old inside asking these big, heavy questions. And God collided with me at a camp, transformed my life. And then a few years later, I thought that I was so good at living that maybe I didn't need his grace as much. Oh, foolish Matt. And there may have been moments where there was, oh, foolish you as well. That's who asked this next question. Having started with the Spirit, of course, your origin your origin well, story was in the spirit. Well. Your origin story was that God collided with you mm-hmm. and showed his grace. Are you now ending with the flesh? <laughs> He's calling us out on a change here. He's calling us out on a moment where we might say, hey, you know what? I've got it from here, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you saved me. You transformed my life. Now I'm living different. Now I'm doing well. But I, I've, I've got it now. Mm-hmm. And this is a bit about control, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're honest about the book of Galatians and the background and the stuff that we've read so far, this is also a little bit about fitting in. They're saying like, okay, now that I'm behaved, now that I'm doing this better, I'll I'll take control so I I can join this group of folks. So I can be a part of this group. But what happens is when our allegiance is to the group, then our allegiance is not to Jesus anymore. That's right. And this is a tricky thing for a church, right? Like we're committed to one another. Many of us are members of this community. We tithe, we show up. These are the people that we love. But here's the thing. This church can never replace your love for Christ. Right. And, and allegiance to this church body can never replace your allegiance to Jesus. Right. It can't. If God invites you to go on some adventure, you need to go on that adventure, and we send you and bless you as you go. Right. Because otherwise what happens is we start to just, well, conform, like we talked about in January. Mm-hmm. 
We start to just behave and start to do groupthink. And that's the opposite of what God has done in us. You start out by God colliding with you, giving you this adventure where you are made new only to coast and live in your own abilities now? Of course not. Of course not. So he goes to this next question. Did you experience so much for nothing? Look at your own stories. Have you gone through all this? All this suffering, all this misunderstanding, all this growth, only to trade it in and pretend you got here on your own merit? You see, if we suffer for Christ, that Mm. suffering is redeemed. That suffering has meaning. That suffering is is brought to good, right? Mm -hmm. God God uses that for his new kingdom. It's, It's sown into the earth of God's kingdom. But if we just suffer for suffer's sake, that's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And all that you've been through, all of your struggle, all of your suffering, that really is, is birthed out of you trying to be obedient to God, trying to live this life fully for God. Are you going to trade that in only so you can fit in with some folks? That's what mm-hmm. he's saying to the church in Galatians. You see, these Celts had suffered for their faith. They'd been misunderstood. They'd been persecuted. All of this only to the rivals coming in and saying, hey, you don't have to suffer anymore if you just observe these few rules to fit into our group. If you just do these few things, you won't have to suffer anymore. But that, well, that changes the story. That changes it all. You see, what I know of God is God, yes, God brings us through it and we survive it. And we don't just live as suffering people forever. In fact, our Sunday school class this morning talked about those moments where you relearn how to live when you're not struggling anymore. Mm -hmm. But God redeems that suffering. God puts value on that suffering. God puts meaning on that suffering. And and that is because he collides with us. Our faith is in Christ. So why would we ever leave Christ? Mm. We might be saying, oh, we wouldn't leave Christ. But this is why I want you to sit this week and chew on these questions a little bit because I think there's little sacrifices, little ways that we try to wash it away and pretend that that struggle was never us. Mm-hmm. That those moments were never us, that we never faced those obstacles. Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we just don't want that story. But your story is your story and not just your story, but it is the story of God redeeming and restoring your life. Yes. It's the story that is good news to the person who you're going to encounter later today or, or your neighbor or your workmate. And the fourth question that Paul asks here is, does God supply you with the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing good works of the law or by believing in what you had heard? Now, this one we got to chew on for a minute. Mm-hmm. It's again, are you doing this on your own merit, on your own good works? Do you have some potion you put together? Or is it by faith? But Paul's really clear, miracles have happened. Right. There are miracles that have happened. And this causes me to look at us. Are miracles happening among us? Oh, yes. And are we aware of these miracles? Yes. And do we give God credit for these miracles? Or do we act like, nah, this is just naturally what happens if you act 
and behave as well as I do. For some of us, miracles make us real nervous. And we're okay with some miracles and we're really not okay with others. We have certain lines that God can't cross. Certain ways that we don't want God's spirit to move because it makes us uncomfortable. And those are the very spaces where we say, okay, God, I got it from here. Because hmm. you can do these three things, but don't, don't you dare move beyond what I imagine you moving beyond. Because yeah. then I have to rethink everything. But at the origin of our faith, we did rethink everything. That's what faith is. It's us living life on our own terms and then colliding with Jesus and realizing what we knew was no longer true. What we knew no, matter, no longer matters. Right. Now it's God's way. And in these moments where we see God's spirit moving among others, where we see miracles, we need to remember that this is the outgrowth of a life lived with faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. Mm. It's not that we're morally behaving or that we're, we have achieved some culture that God can now bless. It's what happens when people meet at the table and their lives collide with Jesus. Mm. There's a ton of powerful things that happen after this that I want to invite you to look at this yes. week, but we're going to go, we're going to go on to uh, verse 26. Mm-hmm. In verse 26, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. No, no, no. And as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Mm. We've said this a lot, but I hope we never tire of saying this. No matter where you come from, In Christ, your family. Mm -hmm. No matter where you come from, in Christ, you have a place at the table. That's the point of the book of Galatians. You could argue that's the point of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because of the work of Jesus, you belong. And that's this first verse. But then Paul gets into baptism. Mm -hmm. And our our world, our era, has some wrestling matches with with baptism, and we'll talk more about baptism. If I'm honest, us getting together, I cannot wait for communion to be celebrated together and for baptism. I, I love moments of baptism. Mm-hmm. But here's a point that I want to make on baptism before we move on. In the first century, at the time that this was written, there wasn't the idea that salvation comes through baptism or all of those debates that we have now. There weren't debates about who should be baptized, and when they should be baptized. There was a really simple thing. They didn't understand someone whose faith was in Jesus but was not baptized. They didn't understand that. In the first century, as soon as your faith was placed in Jesus, you were baptized. That's what happened. In the early church, they would wait a year and only baptize on Easter. There are catechism classes and all these different things that people have now in different denominations, but in the first century, just the idea of, of not being baptized, they, they just wouldn't even think of it because that's just what you did. It wasn't a meaningless activity. I'm not saying that at all. It was filled with meaning. It was the moment that you were clothed with Christ. But the idea of waiting to be baptized or the right way to be baptized, that, that was a conversation that wasn't even had. They hadn't made a wrong way yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did, but they hadn't made it yet. 
that so when you're seeing baptism in in uh, letters like this, that's what they're talking about. This instantaneous, hey, I believe it's it's like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Mm-hmm. I believe there's some water. Can I be baptized? Right. Yes, it's Peter with Cornelius. We already see the Holy Spirit. Who are we to withhold the waters of baptism? Right. Baptism was a thing where somebody said, hey, I, I, I've placed my faith in Christ. And they say, well, you belong at the table and you also belong in the baptismal. Mm-hmm. And in that, we recognize that the old you has died with Christ and the new you has risen with Christ as well. Yes. Whatever other baggage we have picked up around baptism, we can talk and I'd love to talk with you individually or as a group. But as we look at early church, what baptism looked like, it was that. It was a way of announcing to oneself and one's community, I'm in Christ and nothing else matters. Right. So then we get to these verses that are, that are famous. Yes. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here we see Paul gives three directives. He gives this cultural directive. It says there's no longer, uh, we see here, there's no longer Jew or Greek. But he, here's what we have to catch on. He's not saying that we're to lose our distinction. Right, right. That's how the church has typically read this verse. As if there's no distinction, so just be one. But what happens there is what happens in the world. It's actually what the rivals were teaching. The rivals came in and said, hey, be circumcised and eat food so that you can just look Jewish. Right. And then more of us look Jewish and we can... Do cultural imperialism. It matches what the Romans were doing. You know, the Romans went around the world offering peace. Mm-hmm. It was this Pax Romana. It was this the peace of Rome. And what they were announcing is no matter what your culture is, if you act Roman, we'll be at peace with you. Mm-hmm. But what they were doing was killing every culture. They were killing every identity. They were saying to everyone, now, don't act like you. Act like us, and as long as you can act like us, you can be one of right, us. Right, right. And the church has taken this. Yes, yes, yes. The church has done great damage with this. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this is the danger of a multi-ethnic church. This right here. It's the danger of a multi-ethnic church because what happens is we say we are not white, or we are not black, or we are not Asian, we are not Latino, we are not these things. We are something different but then if we're not careful, right. dominant culture just takes over. Right. Exactly. If we're not careful, then everything just gets painted white. Right. We don't name it. We just call it traditional or normal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we put a hyphen on anything else. We put a hyphen on the black church mm-hmm. or the Asian American church or the indigenous church or anything else. And then just church is white. Mm-hmm. No, that's opposite of what Paul is teaching here. What Paul is teaching is that there is no domination of the distinction. Right. After this letter, there are still Greeks and there are still Jews. And Jews are to act Jewish because they are Jewish. 
And Greeks are to act Greek, but both of them more in line with the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Both of them more in line with who God is. But there's no dominating one over the other. You see, in the secular world, the Greeks dominated over the Jews. And then in the religious world, the Jews dominated over the Greeks. And what Paul is saying is this doesn't exist. This domination doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. We are all one in the kingdom of God, but you come Mm -hmm. as you are. And I come as I am. Right. And for some of us, there's some work to realize, who am I culturally? Who am I? But that's part of the work of allowing God to work within us. And as we gather, as we prepare to regather as a church, mm-hmm. we need to be distinctly us. No. Yes. I-, I love, George will talk about the church he grew up in. And it's a more historically black church. And, and today we sang from, from tracks because there's a lot of churches that sing from tracks. And we observed a moment of silence that some churches observe silence, but some observe shouting. And all of that belongs in the church because all of that belongs in our culture. Right. And if it's in your culture, then, then it's at the table. Right. And if it's in my culture, it's at the table unless we're talking about dominating. Because dominating and not making room for another, well, that doesn't belong. That's what Paul is getting at. Mm -hmm. There's a second directive here, this social directive. This talks to class or caste, education. He talks about slave or free. Remember at this time, about a third of the Roman world are slaves. Mm -hmm. Many choose to willingly go into slavery, which to us I know is, is difficult to imagine, but they saw it in their culture as a way to go forward. He's saying there's no distinction in class here. There's no good seats and bad seats. Mm -hmm. There's no the well-fed and the Mm ill-fed. At the table of God, all belong and class does not. Mm -hmm. You may leave with less resources than the person next to you, but at that table, you all belong and we figure out how to do it together. And as you can imagine, this should cripple the system. We want systems and structures to change within our country, within our world. The church is the place that that should change. The church is the place that says, I care about how you come in, but not in a way of dominating you, not in a way of picking which table you're at. Mm -hmm. I care because it's your story Mm -hmm. and God's going to redeem and restore you, but you belong at the table right next to me. Right. And we bring what we have and we watch God do what God does. The third directive is the gender directive. How this is in the New Testament but doesn't make its way into churches, right. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand how we're still culturally dominating each other and uh, socially dominating each other and then genders pretending that some genders are, are able to be God's mouthpiece and another is not. This is not saying that there isn't a unique difference between male and female. Mm-hmm. This is not saying that you can't be feminine and masculine and any of those kind of things. What this is saying, again, is there's no dominating. Mm-hmm. If somebody is in Christ, they are filled with the Spirit. And if they are filled with the Spirit, they belong at the table. And if they belong at the table, then they are used as a mouthpiece or as God's hands or God's feet or whatever God chooses to use that person as. Mm-hmm. That is God's choice to do within them. And then the church's job is to add their amen. Mm-hmm. And here's the reality. 
As I even look at the screen of people that I know here, as I even look at at my family gathered here and George gathered here, who is my family, like as I look at us, I know that this is the way we've been hurt. Mm -hmm. And not by the world, by the church. Mm -hmm. By the church saying somebody like you can't do that. Somebody like you can't preach. Someone like you can't sing. Someone like you can't, can't serve. And maybe if the church hasn't said that, we haven't seen people go before us like us, so we can't imagine it. But as I dream of where one church will go, I dream that we will be a place that equips people and then doesn't own them. Right, right. That equips people, and then as God calls people to go, we add our amen and send them out and watch them come back and go freely as freedom in Christ. But if you felt this from the church, then from my office of pastor, let me say, I'm sorry. I repent for us. If you felt this cultural distinctive, this directive where one culture dominates another, let me say, I'm sorry. That's not the way the church is to be. The church has forgotten itself. If you felt that in in social directive or in gender, that's the church living fearful and we're to live courageous in Christ. Yes. You see, the point of Galatians is if you belong in Christ, you belong at the table and the church yes. gathers around the table And everything that has been established to be against you, everything that has been established to silence you or to change you in a way that is not in line with the fruit of the Spirit, well, all of those things answer to Jesus. All of those systems, structures, voices answer to Jesus. And you answer to Jesus. And Jesus came that you may be free. free. And so in a moment, we're going to freely eat of his table. But before we do, I want to pray. I want to ask you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you that your work is sufficient. Thank you, God. Nothing needs to be added to it. And I pray that you would even in this moment, that you would free us up some. Even as as one church, help us look at at ways that we have bought these lies, of ways that we have lived into these lies. I pray that you would remind us of of how this is all through life, faith in you, and that these distinctions should be celebrated, not dominated that we might be a place where this happens. In your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.